is God good? Amen. He sure is. I never really like raining, waking up on Sundays when it's raining. You never know who's going to sleep in. I'll tell you what, it'll put you to sleep. Amen. But I'm glad that you fought it. I'm glad that you woke up, got to the house today. I believe God has a word that's going to impact your life. I, um, I actually taught this maybe about a month ago, a little over a month ago on a Wednesday night. And, um, uh, and while I'm on that note, I really want to encourage you, uh, now that most of us have officially hit the, the summer months, and I don't know if that's a pain for you, if you'd rather have your kids in school or rather have them out of school, I think we complain about both. We complain when they're in, when was the summer going to get here, and then we complain when they're out, when are these kids going to get back to school and let somebody else take care of them. And, uh, but uh, I really want to encourage you um, to join us on Wednesday nights. We're here for our midweek service, 7 p.m. We typically don't go past 8 o'clock. And I want to challenge you this summer not to do less but to do more. I know that the world culturally sees the summertime as laying back and refreshing and pulling away, but there's nothing more refreshing than being in the Word of God. And, and I'll be honest with you, you'll find a lot of refreshing and a lot of recharging comes right here in this place when you get around godly fellowship and other believers and then most importantly get around the Word of God. So I want to challenge you. We've got ministry for all ages, uh, all the way up, uh, every student, every child, every baby. Uh, we take the opportunity to serve them and to minister to them as well. Um, so don't miss out. Um, and, you know, even in the midst of traveling, in the midst of your goings and comings this summer, make sure you are in the house of God when you are here. Don't let vacation burn you out so much that you can't even make it to church. Amen? And I know I've been on some of those trips where you need a vacation from the vacation. But get on vacation be determined to rest and to relax. Don't get wore out. Don't let the kids run you around ragged. Don't run yourself around doing a bunch of stuff that you didn't plan to do. And then get back here rested and let's get ready to see what God has for us. Amen? All right. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. Colossians chapter 3. We've seen this verse several times. I'm going to speak to you today. Uh, basically, ultimately on the subject of faith. Faith. We are people of faith, aren't we? We believe in the word of faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is so important to live a life of faith. And Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, If then you were raised with Christ, do I have any raised with Christ people in the house? I got two. Okay, well, hopefully by the end, we'll get the rest of you. Amen. Since you have been, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Notice that it's not automatic. Just because I've been raised with Christ doesn't mean I automatically seek those things that are above. What do I got to do? Now I've got to set my life in motion to go after something that's contrary to what I used to go after. I've been raised with Christ, but I can still look at earthly things. I can still see how things are rather than how they ought to be. I can tend to look at what is going on rather than what I want to see going on. And so, you know, you've heard me say it this way before. When you are born again, when you're saved, when you are raised to life with Christ, new life, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tells us, if therefore any man 
is in Christ. He is a what? New creation. So your spirit is saved. Your mind or your soul is being saved. And then your flesh cannot be saved. Therefore, the only answer is to crucify or kill the flesh. And so we recognize that just because I've received something on the inside doesn't mean I've attained everything on the outside. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind. Why? Because you have to see it in your mind before you can see it in your life. You have to see it in your mind before you can see it in your life. You will never get anywhere that you don't first get in your mind. If you can't think different, you won't live different. Okay? We live from the inside out. So there's a renewing of the mind that takes place. Romans chapter 12, just just giving it to you, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Be renewed or be transformed where? In your life by the what? Renewing of your mind. Again, we see that our life follows our thinking. So if I can think different, I can live different. If I can change how I think, I'll change how I live. He says, set your mind. That means become fixed, immovable, unshaken. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So now we're seeing that there's two opposing, conflicting sides. We've got things of heaven above, and then we have things on earth below. And at any time, it's my choice to determine where I set or fix my mind. I determine that. Life does not determine what you set your mind on. Well, it's just, it's just been on my mind. You put it there. I can't seem to get it off my mind. It's because you've decided to think on that and chosen to think on that. And so it's important to recognize that we have the responsibility living this life of faith that we recognize that we have the responsibility of setting our mind. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Tom, my message today is a proactive perspective. Proactive perspective. If we see, and, and even when we go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we know that it says, uh, faith is the evidence of things. What? Not seen. Not seen. You can't live a life of faith if you can't learn how to see by faith. Faith has to do with seeing. Faith has to do with sight. But what I've, what I've learned in my life about sight since I wear glasses uh, and, you know, I wear contacts most of the time, but I have to use something to enhance my vision because on my own I cannot see without some type of enhancement. I've learned that vision can be blurry. Our sight, meaning that our faith can only be as good as our sight. So every now and then, I might have to bring in a corrective measure to fix how I'm seeing. To fix what I'm seeing. If my faith is how I see things that are not seen, well, you know as well as I do that lenses can determine what you see. Now listen, it doesn't mean that it's not there. It means that you don't see it. See, I have to use corrective lenses. 
so I can see things that are there that without them I don't see. We won't talk about how bad that is on me. But I have to use a measure that will help me give some clarity to some things. Anybody ever need clarity? Anybody ever, you, you know it's there in front of you, you know that, that it, it, it's sitting right there, but I just don't have the clarity I need. I just don't have the understanding I need. I just can't see it the way I want to see it. And so today I want to talk about the perspective of faith, because I believe that if we have a wrong perspective, we won't operate in faith the way that we ought to. And so I have a reference for you in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. You know, when, when you bring in a corrective measure, it doesn't mean that you see a different circumstance. It means that you see the circumstance differently. I'll say that again. It does not mean, when you, when you correct your vision, it doesn't mean that you see something different, but you see it differently. I've got a new perspective. I've got a new twist. I've got a new angle. The lens that I bring in now helps me see something that was always there that I couldn't see before. And I believe today that we don't need faith to change our circumstance. We need faith to change our vision. We need, we need faith to change the way we see the circumstance. Faith doesn't change God. It changes you. He's the same God whether you've had the faith or not. He's able to do it whether you believe him or not. He's able to move and, and, and intervene on your behalf whether you see it or not. But it's your faith that connects to his power. And that's what we're going to see today, that I've got to, I have a responsibility of faith in this life that we call a life of faith. There's a responsibility. I heard someone make a statement recently, a pastor, he was talking about faith and he said, you know, there's a lot of us that I believe are believing for a miracle when we simply need discipline. We're believing for God to do something when there's something that we have in our realm, in our responsibility. We're believing for healing in our bodies, but we may need to change the way we eat. We're believing for God to move on our behalf in our finances, but we may need to change the way we see our finances. Is anybody with me today? I know it's not popular. I know we want to talk about a God that's just going to come in and if you'll just pray hard enough and believe hard enough that God's just going to show up and swoop down and change everything. But I believe that there's a responsibility we have as believers. We've been empowered way too much. We've been given way too much resource. There's too much that God has placed within our ability that we need to act upon his word to see his promises come to pass. And yes, God is a God of miracles. You go back to the Old Testament with the, Egypt, or with the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness. And you're talking miracle after miracle after miracle. In the midst of grumbling and complaining. In the midst of who, what God is this, Moses, that would bring us out here to die. Why would you save us from slavery, which was so horrible yesterday, but now all of a sudden we want it back. And God is still showing up 
parting Red Seas, water out of rocks, breakfast on the ground, birds bringing dinner at night. I mean, you can't get any more miracles than this. But when they went into the promised land, miracles are over. Now it's time to start working some stuff. Oh, you want those walls to come down? You're going to have to do some walking. There's, 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 there's now a responsibility that we have. And I'll tell you what, thank God for the wilderness. Thank God for the times when I didn't have the strength to do it on my own. I didn't, even, I didn't have the strength to see him move on my behalf. And thank God for the times he was gracious and merciful enough to move in my life with the miraculous. But I don't want to stay in the wilderness. We're called out of the wilderness. We're called into the promised land. We're called to possess everything that God has for us. But possession has responsibilities. And in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, we've got a, a, a tale of two miracles. A tale of two miracles here. And in, in verse 21, it says, I'm probably just going to read this thing through. I may stop here and there, and then we're going to go back, and we're going to dissect this and break it down. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. Now, he's coming with conditions here, Jairus. Anybody ever put conditions on your faith? You know, we've got to be careful because many times our expectation can become God's limitation. My expectation of not just what I want God to do it, but how many of you have ever spelled out how he's going to do it? You've already, you're telling God who he's going to talk to, 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 to bring that finance. Man, God, I know this person's got it, man. And if you just speak to their heart, if you just move on their heart, move on their behalf. God, if, if you'll just intervene. And, and, and many times we miss God, not because he's not moving, but because he's not moving the way you thought he would. Right? Many times we miss out on God. That's why we just, we just got done singing, let us become more aware. Why? Because he could be moving and I could just simply not be aware of it. I don't know about you. I want to be aware of it because I might miss for a lack of awareness. He's the same God. Same God. And so Jairus comes and he says, here's what's going to happen, Jesus. You're going to come to my house, number one. Number two, you're going to lay your hands on my daughter. Before she dies, there's no inclination at this point that she's dead. In fact, we learn later on that she's alive. When he left the house, she was alive. And she will live, not be raised to life. So we, we, can, we can easily assume here that he believes if Jesus will come to his house, lay his hands on his daughter, before she dies, she will live. Those are the conditions, Jesus. Do you, do you accept these terms? Right? This is what we do to God a lot. Here's the terms of the agreement, God. And many times, if we're not careful, our expectation will become our limitation. So we see in the next verse, it says, so Jesus went with him. He 
he's not, he's, okay, fine. I accept the terms. Conditions sound good to me. I've done that before. I've laid hands on. We know that there's a Roman centurion uh, over in, in, in Matthew chapter 8 that said, you don't have to come and lay hands. All you got to do is speak the word. He had different conditions. And that's when Jesus said, I haven't found faith like this in all of Israel. From a man that's not even a part of the covenant. And this is a man that's outside of the bonding agreement, the binding pact. But yet, he says, if you just speak the word, why? Because he recognized something about Jesus that changed the conditions. You don't even have to come to my house. But Jairus says, come to my house. And so Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And isn't that just like our lives? The second we get in faith with God, the sec- I mean, we come to church, we hear the word, it encourages our faith, it builds us up, and then all of a sudden stuff starts showing up to hinder God from moving in our life. The great multitude. I mean, can you be, can, can you, can you be thinking what, 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 what Jairus is going through at this point? He's in a hurry. He knows that his daughter's at the point of death. There's urgency here. He didn't just happen to bump into him while he was at the grocery store. Oh, hey, I've heard about you. You know, by the way, my daughter's at home and, you know, she's not doing real good. Do you mind just taking a moment? Just, you know, you you busy? You got anything going on right now? No, he's urgently seeking Jesus, urgently coming to Jesus, believing in faith that if you'll come to my house, lay your hands on my daughter before she dies, she will live. And then as soon as he gets in faith and as soon as he, uh, uh, you know, declares what he wants to see, then the multitude shows up. And everything begins to show up that slows down the miracle from taking place. Remember, his condition is, is we got to get there. We got to get back. And many of us end up in a place like that. But we're going to see here that there is no limit to what Jesus can do. So Jesus went with them. Great multitude followed him and thronged him. Verse 25. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Now she has conditions too. She's got conditions too. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. He doesn't have to know. He doesn't even have to turn to me. He doesn't have to lay his hands on me. If I can get there, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will receive my healing. That was her condition. Again, the expectation. But I want you to notice the difference in the condition. Because one of these individuals is reacting, and the other individual is proactive. Jairus puts all the responsibility on Jesus. He's not involved in the process at all. If you will come to my house, and if you will lay your hands on my daughter, he has removed himself from the equation. He's not even a part of the process. He has reached out to Jesus and said, I need you. 
to do something. Whereas the woman with the issue of blood said, if I can press in the crowd and if I can touch because what I heard about this man has built up my faith. And so if I can get in there, I will receive my healing. Jesus doesn't even have to know. And she knows that she'll get healed. Jairus is reactive. I'm responding to whatever you do. But this woman says, no, 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 no. My body will respond to whatever I do. If I can get in there, if I can get in there with the two individuals, both needing a miracle, both have the same limitations, the crowd. The crowd is a problem for both of them. One of them is trying to, to, to press in and the other is trying to press through. But they both have the same limitation. They both, but they have both figured, but each one has figured out a way to believe Jesus in different ways. But Jairus, his faith is all on Jesus. His belief is if you will come. The woman's faith says if I will get to you. Okay? Stay with me. If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Verse 29. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And she's thinking, God, good. Got my healing. I'm going to go on my way. I'm going to scurry on out of here. Nobody's ever going to know. But Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out. See, there were many people touching, but there was only one that was drawing. This is the difference. Many people were touching Jesus. Only one individual went in there drawing. Drawing. Power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? The disciples are just as perplexed. The disciples don't understand the difference between touching and drawing. They don't understand. The, see, see, many times we get in environments like this, but we don't draw. And then we wonder why we leave just as empty as we did when we walked through the doors. Because you've got a responsibility to come in here and pull on what I'm giving you. You've got, it's not enough to just be in the vicinity. God is looking for people of faith. Luke chapter 18 tells us that when the Son of Man returns, he's going to come. He's going to say, will I find faith in the earth? He's looking for people that have a vision that is corrected by a certain perspective. A certain perspective. But the disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you. You say, who touched me? Verse 32, and he looked around to see her who had done this thing. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the truth. And he said to her, daughter, what, what, what does he say there? My power has made you well. 
my special anointing that has come to break the yoke of bondage, to set the captives free, right? No, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith. See, there, there's, there's two entities operating in this passage. There's Jesus' power, and then there's your faith. My power flowed out of me when your faith drew it out of me. you got to catch this now. See, there's, there's a power outlet back here on this back wall. And there is power running through that, that conduit. Right, Josh? There's power all over there. And we do everything we can to protect it and to guard it so it doesn't, you know, shock people and, and you know, light people up. You know, when I was in Nicaragua, if you wanted a hot shower, they had this little device on the, the nozzle of the shower that would make the water hot. But the scary part was that the bare wires were running down the back of the, the line and you could see where it was plugged into the ceiling in the shower. And I'm thinking, am I going to die in here? Like, how hot does this thing get? I, you know, I just, I don't need an electric shock. I just, you know, need a little bit of heat. Scary looking. Why? Because that stuff belongs somewhere else. Out of sight. The power is out of sight. But when you hook something up to it, it will draw on the power that's being released. Jesus doesn't have a shortage of power. So there must be a shortage of faith. How are we connected to his power? I've got to plug into it. I've got to hook up to it. And faith is how I connect to the power of God. He's got the power. He's able. We've already covered that. We know that he has the power to heal both of these individuals. He has the power to heal everybody in that multitude, thronging him, pressing in against him. But only one individual decided to hook up and plug into the source using her faith. Your faith. Your faith. Her faith. He said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now look at verse 35. While he was still speaking. You know, it always kind of bothered me a little bit. Why, why did Jesus stop? Why did he acknowledge? I mean, she got her healing. She got her miracle. Maybe we would have known about it. Maybe we wouldn't have. I mean, Mark probably wouldn't have written this. But I wonder how many people in the crowd, were drawing on Jesus that he didn't acknowledge. But in this case, he stops on the way to urgently trying to heal Jairus' daughter. And again, just picture Jairus. Just picture if that was your daughter. Your 12-year-old daughter on the, on the deathbed. You know that this is the last hope we have. We've got to get Jesus here. And you're, you're pressing through the crowd, and then he stops, and you're thinking, you've got to be kidding me. We're going somewhere. 
My daughter's about to die. Why? Because his expectation was also his limitation. If you get there before, if she dies before you get there, we're done. It's gone. It's over. There, there's no need. And I learned that from the next verse. Because while Jesus was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher? See, we, we have faith that Jesus can do it up to here, but if it gets past here, don't bother him anymore. They just reveal where they're, the, the limitation of their expectation. They just reveal. There's no need in bringing the master here anymore. Don't bother the teacher. Now you're just bothering him. She's dead. It's almost like, you know, a little bit of a, an attack at Jesus, like, well, you could have done it if you'd have got here, but you didn't make it. So almost sounds like Lazarus, John chapter 11. Well, if you would have been here two days ago, you could have done something. Now he's gone and dead. There's nothing you can do. And it always kind of bothered me why Jesus, you know, even stopped and took the time with the woman with the issue of blood. But the next verse tells me why. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler, Jairus, do not be afraid, only believe. Now he's involving Jairus in the process. Up until this point, Jairus is on the outside looking in. If you can just get here. And now he's turning to Jairus and says, I need you. I need you. Oh, and by the way, here's your example. This woman received her healing and nobody even knew about it. Because of her, I believe, I'm not going to build doctrine on this, but I just believe that Jesus stopped and acknowledged that woman for Jairus' sake. To show Jairus, I need you to believe. When you came to me, you put all the responsibility on me. But I want to show you that I need you just as much as you need me. I need your faith. I need, that's your daughter. And now she's dead. She can't believe in faith for herself. She needs somebody on the outside to believe in faith for her. See, divine healing comes one of two ways. Number one, it either comes by your faith. Or number two, it comes by a move of the Spirit and a miracle. Which doesn't require your faith. And we only see one instance in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where Jesus heals somebody and it didn't require their faith. And that's the lame man that was at the pool of Bethesda. He didn't even know who Jesus was. When Jesus came to him, he called him sir. The only time in the Gospels that Jesus is called sir. Not teacher, not master, not Messiah, not rabbi, not Lord, not son of God. He said, sir, I have no one to push me into the pool. And Jesus healed him. 
Now, why didn't Jesus heal anybody else at that pool? Why didn't he just go ahead and clear the whole thing out? Because he was moved by the Spirit to that, to that particular individual. He just didn't go there on his own accord. But just about every other time in the Gospels, you see Jesus saying this statement, your faith, your faith, your faith. And so now he's turning it over to Jairus and he's saying, I need you to believe me. You're going to have to connect to me. I've got the power, Jairus. I can do it, but I need your faith. And this woman was healed because of her faith. So now do not be afraid only believe. Let me tell you something. The devil uses fear the same way God uses faith. The devil uses fear the same way God uses faith. Both fear and faith are designed to move you to action. Both fear and faith are designed to to move you to act upon whatever you believe will take place. Fear is just a picture of what may be, and faith is a picture of what may be. And whichever one you trust in or look at, do not look at things on the earth, but look at that which is above. Where you set your perspective determines what you receive. Where you set your perspective determines what you receive. And so he's helping Jairus, do not be afraid. Don't be moved by what they're saying. What they're saying will bring fear. Be moved by faith. He's trying to counteract. He's counteracting the word that just came. While he was still speaking. We just got done seeing a miracle. And as soon as that miracle takes place, the devil's not wasting any time. He knows his timing. It's almost like you can see the devil like telling, okay, hold on, hold on, wait. Okay, wait, wait, wait. You're going to acknowledge your faith is, okay, go, get in there. He knows what he's doing. He'll send in a report of fear as soon as you see a miracle of faith. Didn't we just see this? Uh, with with uh, Elijah. Elijah sees God perform this mighty miracle on Mount Carmel. Lights up the altar. And then the, the same day he gets a report from the queen that says, I'm going to do the same thing to you that you did to all those false prophets. And now he's off and running. Why? Because the threat of the enemy of what may happen is bigger than the miracle of what just happened. Of what actually happened. We allow a threat of the devil to be bigger than what God is actually doing. The miracle's in the moment. The miracle's in the moment. Jesus stops to encourage and build up and strengthen Jairus' faith. That's why he could turn and say, do not be afraid. Only believe. Jairus, I need you. Stay with me. Stay with me. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I need you. I need you. Verse 37, and he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. What's he doing? He's getting rid of the distractions. 
it's amazing how we try to remain in faith while we keep ourselves surrounded by things that bring fear and doubt. And we wonder why our faith isn't being strengthened and our faith isn't being encouraged. Well, you continue to look at the doctor's report. You're continuing to check the bank account. You're continuing to remain in the circle of friends that is telling you and encouraging you to give up hope and give up. That marriage is never going to last. That marriage, he's never going to come around. You just need to give up. You need to move on, sister. Forget it, girlfriend. You need to go on down the road. You need to put him down. And you're trying to stand and believe for your marriage. And these individuals are encouraging you to do the direct opposite. And you're wondering why your faith for your marriage is waning. But what does he do? He denies the distraction. He puts them out. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. He's trying to find their faith. He's trying to see where their faith is at. Do these people believe that I can really do this? Because I got a man with me right now that he's, he's barely hanging on. He came to me believing that if I got here and I laid hands on his daughter before she died, she would be healed. And I'm trying to keep this guy locked in. And then when that miracle happened with that woman with the issue of blood, I said, see, right there, her faith made her whole. Your faith will make your daughter whole. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Stay with me. And then we show up to a bunch of fear and trembling and weeping and crying and doubt and unbelief. The child is not dead but sleeping. Why make a radical, crazy statement like that? Because I need to know where your faith is at. He's trying to locate them. He's trying to locate them. And they ridiculed him. Okay, I see where you're at. But when he had put them all outside, so he said, all right, get out. Get out. You're not in faith. Get out. I mean, this is, these are the relatives. This is the, clo- this is the close family. This is everybody, you know, that Jairus had at his side through this process. And then here's Jesus, the master, the teacher, just some guy that we've heard can do miracles. And he shows up and he tells everybody to leave. Why? Because if you're not in faith, you're not with me. You've got to be that bold on the inside. You can't develop your faith in the presence of fear. You can't develop your faith in the presence of fear. You're believing for something big. You're believing for something large. You know, it's amazing. It is amazing how, you know, I, I have... People in my life that, you know, they'll call themselves faith people all day long. And then I'll start casting vision for something, and then they'll start telling me why I can't do it. Wait a minute. I thought you were, I thought if, if anybody I could come to with this, you, you would encourage me. You would build me up. I remember a couple years ago, some of y'all may remember, we were looking at a piece of property over on the other side of town, 11 acres of land, 11 measly acres. And I started communicating that with some people. And I, I was just, I was perplexed. The people were saying, mm, are, you, are you sure? I mean, how many people do you have? How long have you been at church? 
asking, I was like, why did that matter? Why? I quickly learned how to change my circle. If you're going to remain in faith in the middle of a faith battle or a faith test, you better learn how to change your circle. Just because they're thronging and just because there's a multitude doesn't mean they're always with you. Doesn't mean their faith is at the level where you need it to be. And if you can't find people that, that if you don't have people that have the faith to believe with you on something, then they're not with you. I mean, it's hard enough trying to stand in faith for yourself. And now that 11 acres is, is seeming like nothing. <laughs> that was a drop in the bucket compared to a potential that we're looking at right now. Incredible. Now, I needed that moment, and God knew I needed it, and that moment didn't pass it, pan out, did it? That's okay. I knew if this isn't it, then this is only building me for the next thing, and I had no idea that it was 11 acres was building me for the next thing. But I, I, I've got to get, I, I'm just trying to believe for myself with this thing. I'm just trying to keep my faith locked in that, I mean, my mind is blown right now at some of the opportunities that God has brought to us. I don't need people around me that are going to discourage my faith. I need people that will encourage my faith. And I've quickly learned who's in my circle and who's not. And if you can't get there, then you're not in the circle. It's that simple. See, see, some of us are communicating things that you're believing for to people that can't get there, and it's discouraging your faith. It's bring, you're coming down to their level. You're not bringing them up to your level. You've got to recognize this. When you're in the battle, when the doctor says you have six months to live, when, when, when they say you're going to have to file bankruptcy, there's nothing else you can do, when, when, the, when everyone is telling you that you need to give up on that and leave that individual, you have to get around faith. We're trying to build faith within us while we're surrounded by fear around us. But Jesus closes the circle, puts them all outside. He took the father and the mother of the child, those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and entered where the child was lying. He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. I just find it interesting that this girl was born when the woman of, with the issue of blood came down with her sickness. God knows how to get, give life. God knows when one thing is dying, there's another thing that's living. When one thing seems like it's being taken away, he knows how to bring in something else. I'm going to tell you right now that God's power needs your help. Are we people of faith this morning? Are we, people, are we just saying we're a faith person, but when the test and the battle comes, 
We're not standing. We're not plugging in. Are you putting more responsibility on God than you are on yourself? You've heard me say this a thousand times. God will do what only he can do. But he won't do what only you can do. We have a role to play. We have a role to play. We have a role. We have an assignment. We have a responsibility. And you've got to learn to deny the distractions. You've got to get to a point where you can defy, defy the demand. And I know that you got in here and your faith is being built up and your faith is encouraged. And you may have done all that you could just to get here today. And walking back out that door is another distraction. Walking back out that door is another demand. Walking back out that door is another reason why it can't work. On the other side of that door is more people that want to speak into your life and say, it cannot happen, it cannot be that way. But you have to stand. You have to believe. We don't come in here and sing songs like nothing is impossible. I'm no, I don't live by what I see. Is that just words to a song for you or is that reality? I don't live by what I see. I don't live by what I feel. I'm not moved by what I hear. It's what's on the inside. Set your mind. Fix your mind. Unshakable. Immovable. It cannot be moved. This is the, this is the God kind of faith. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, have faith in God. If you will have faith that as of a mustard seed, you can speak to this mountain and tell it to be cast into the sea. I heard someone say this one time out I'm not a National Geographic guy. Or, you know, don't go Wikipedia this and try to prove me wrong or something. But I heard someone say that there are more mountains in the ocean than there are above the ocean. I wonder if that's just a bunch of people talking to a bunch of mountains and casting. They just they they took Jesus literally and say, "Okay, let's try it." Boom! There it goes. What I want you to see is that your faith works. It works if you work it. Faith in God is not a, a magic pill. It's not a, 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 a potion that you just, you just say things. It's not a genie in a bottle. Faith has to be worked. Faith has to be applied. Faith has to be lived out. I don't know what you have in your life that is dying. It's on its deathbed. And what if someone came to you today and said, it's dead, it's done, it's over? Would you walk away? Would you tell Jesus, don't bother anymore? Don't worry about it? Or will you allow Jesus to supersede your limitations? Will you allow him to expand your thinking? We allow him to do what he said he would do immeasurably more than you can ask or think. Above and beyond. That's the God that I serve. He's not just trying to get you back to zero. He's going to put a little bit extra to top you off to say, now you got something to give away. I'm going to prove 
not just to you, but to everybody around you, to all those that defied you. I wonder what those people that were crying and weeping and wailing outside, I wonder what they thought when they saw the girl walk back out those doors. My gosh, what are people going to do when they see your miracle get up and walk again? What are they going to do when they see that business that you thought was done and over and they were telling you to shut it down and they see it come back to life? What are they going to do when they see you holding hand in hand with your spouse, walking around town, loving on each other? What are they going to do when they see the cancer gone out of your body? What are they going to do when they see the child come back home? What are they going to do? That's the God that I serve. He doesn't want to just save your child. He wants your child to be a minister of the gospel one day. What are they going to do when they see that son that you thought you gave up on, up on a podium preaching the gospel for the kingdom? What are they going to do? That's the God I serve. Is your faith encouraged today? Is it stirred up today? You've got to work your faith. You've got to put something into it to get something out of it. If you're not hooking up, you're not drawing. But his power is there. It's real. It's available for every single person here today. Father, I thank you today that your power, even when we don't see it, even when we can't feel it, even when we don't hear it, even when it seems like all is gone, we can feel like J. Irish, we're with the Master, but the miracle isn't happening. Father, may we be encouraged by the miracles we see around us. May we, may we be like Jairus, see the woman with the issue of blood healed and say, if God would do it for her, he will, he can, he shall do it for me. He's not a respecter of persons. Father, I thank you today that our faith is stirred up. It's awakened. Some of us have had dead faith. Some of us, our faith has been asleep. Some of us, we've been living life so comfortably that we haven't even had to use faith in a while. We haven't had to step outside the boat. We haven't had to get out on the water. Father, may we not grow comfortable in our faith. May we believe. May we have a a new perspective today. A proactive perspective that says, no, I will go and get it. It doesn't have to come to me. Father, we know that you're able, well able. But I thank you, Father, that we are able to believe in you. We are able to put our faith and trust in you wholeheartedly. And we'll see the answer in Jesus' mighty name.